and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hey, Joss. Hey, Chris. Could I interest you in a little bit of poetry? Oh, no. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Someday, they'll go down together. They'll bury them side by side. To few, it'll be grief. To the law, a relief. But it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. Well, if that didn't give it away, we're going to chat all about the infamous flop musical, Bonnie and Clyde. But first, we'll give you a little backstory on Bonnie and Clyde, just in case you slept through your history classes back in the day. We also want to give a little shout out to the Library of Congress and the New York Times Archive for their incredible articles. We really could not do this without them. <laughs> now let's get into it. Boom, boom. What? Sorry. I feel like we need music there every time we're like, let's get into it. I feel like we need a little. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Bonnie Parker was born in Rowena, Texas on October 1st, 1910. Following the death of her father in 1914, her mother moved the family back to Cement City, a suburb of West Dallas. Six days before her 16th birthday, Bonnie Parker married her high school sweetheart, Roy Thornton. However, Thornton was imprisoned in 1929 and the two never crossed paths again, despite still being legally married. Clyde Barrow was born on March 24, 1909 in Ellis County, Texas, moving to West Dallas with his family in the early 1920s. The Barrow family were extremely poor. Clyde Barrow was first arrested for failing to return a rental car on time in 1926. Under guidance from his older brother and future fellow gang member, Marvin Buck Barrow, he continued to crack safes, rob stores, and steal cars throughout his youth. Bonnie and Clyde met in January of 1930 at a friend's house in West Dallas. Clyde would later recount this initial meeting to be love at first sight. Just a few weeks later, Clyde was arrested for stealing a car. Although they had just met, Bonnie visited Clyde frequently during his imprisonment and eventually aided in Clyde's escape by smuggling him a gun on March 11, 1930. Only a week later, he was recaptured and sentenced to 14 years in the brutal Easton Prison Farm near Weldon, Texas. Clyde arrived at Easton on April 21st. The life inside the prison was unbearable for Clyde. So he worked on a plan hoping a physical injury would earn him a transfer. He asked a fellow prisoner to chop off two of his toes with an axe. But that proved unnecessary as he was paroled a week later on February 2nd, 1932. Bonnie and Clyde then assembled a gang and hit the road running. On April 19th, Parker and Fultz were captured in a failed hardware store burglary in Kaufman, in which they had intended to steal firearms. She was released a few months later. While Bonnie was in jail, Clyde and Hamilton, no, not Alexander, staged another robbery in April 1932. It was supposed to be easy, but something went wrong, and the general store's owner, John Butcher, was shot and killed. Bonnie was now faced with a decision. Stay with Clyde for life or leave him and start fresh. She understood that staying with him meant death for both. Despite this, Bonnie decided not to leave Clyde. 
In December of 1932, the FBI were informed of an abandoned automobile in Michigan that had been stolen in Oklahoma. A search in Oklahoma of a second stolen car linked both automobiles to Barrow and Parker through a prescription bottle that had been filled for Barrow's aunt. This led the FBI to issue a warrant against the outlawed couple for interstate transportation of the second stolen automobile on May 20th, 1933. Over the years, numerous sightings followed linking the pair with bank robberies and automobile thefts. Clyde allegedly murdered a man at Hillsborough, Texas, committed robberies at Lufkin and Dallas, Texas, murdered one sheriff and wounded another at Stringtown, Oklahoma, kidnapped a deputy at Carlsbad, New Mexico, stole an automobile at Victoria, Texas, attempted to murder a deputy in Wharton, Texas, committed murder and robbery at Abilene. In January 1934 in Waldo, Texas, the gang helped engineer the escape of five prisoners during which two guards were killed. On April 1, 1934, Barrow and Parker murdered two police officers in Grapevine, Texas, and five days later, they killed a police constable in Miami, Oklahoma, and kidnapped a police chief. Bonnie and Clyde were betrayed by a friend who led police officers from Texas and Louisiana. Bonnie and Clyde were betrayed by a friend who led police officers from Texas and Louisiana to ambush the couple along a highway between the towns of Gibslands and Sales in Bienville Parish, Louisiana, on May 23, 1934. After they attempted to flee the roadblock, police opened fire, killing them. At the time they were killed in 1934, they were believed to have committed 13 murders and several robberies and burglaries. Bonnie and Clyde wished to be buried side by side, but the Parker family would not allow it. Her mother wanted to grant her final wish to be brought home, but the mobs surrounding the Parker house made that impossible. Since their infamous deaths, Bonnie and Clyde have become a popular topic within the media especially in television and film. While there was already a Bonnie and Clyde musical making its rounds in the theater circles in the early 2000s, written by Broadway's Hunter Foster, composer Frank Wildhorn had already began working on the idea of a Bonnie and Clyde musical for several years with lyricist Don Black. The duo began writing a song cycle based on the story of Bonnie and Clyde. Black wrote the first bunch of lyrics and both came to the realization that this could be a musical. Wildhorn is quoted saying, quote, It was about the kids themselves, their hopes, their dreams. Look at the world we live in now. People do desperate things in desperate times. That inspired me to think there's more to this. If there's three songs, maybe there's six, maybe even 16, end quote. The writing team released a 13-track demo recording, five of which are still in the present musical but altered considerably, for Atlantic Records with Michael Lanning, Rob Evans, Brandy Burkhart, and Linda Eater, sharing the principal roles. Pleased with the direction the project was heading, they brought on Michael Greif, the former La Jolla Playhouse Artistic Director, and David Newman, who co-wrote the screenplay to the 1967 movie about the outlaws. Frank Wildhorn was excited about this new endeavor and was quoted in an interview with Playbill saying, When I started working on the show, no one was talking about Bonnie and Clyde. Now two new books have been published. A remake of the Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway classic film is in production. And the FBI recently released close to a thousand pages of classified memos on the infamous couple. Unfortunately, the project was shelved when Newman died suddenly in 2003. 
Wild Horn and director Jeff Calhoun eventually brushed the dust off the musical and got back to work. Calhoun quickly brought in Ivan Menchel, a TV scribe who also wrote a Broadway play in 1990 called The Cemetery Club, to write the book. The team knew they wanted to stage the tryout run at La Jolla. They asked Christopher Ashley, the Playhouse artistic director, to read what they had come up with. It initially worked in their favor because the Playhouse had an opening during its 2009 schedule, as the previously announced Douglas Carter Bean musical, The Big Time, had to be postponed because Ashley, who would have directed it, was instead set to direct the Broadway staging of Memphis, which had already opened. Their next step to the stage was a reading. The reading rehearsals took place on February 3rd, 2009, which led to a presentation for invited guests on February 10th. Bonnie and Clyde were played by Laura Osnes and Stark Sands. The reading cast also includes Rob Evan, Kelsey Fowler, Natalie Hill, Michael Lanning, David Larson, Jacob Levine, Bryn O'Malley, Jessica Phillips, Nancy Ringham, Marty Thomas, Ben Thompson, Tad Wilson, and Betsy Wolf. In July of 2009, it was announced that Bonnie and Clyde would play at the Mandel Weiss Theater at La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego, California, from November 10, 2009 to December 20, 2009. The production received $500,000 in backing from Playhouse donors and an additional unspecified amount in enhancement funds from potential producers, Playhouse Managing Director Michael Rosenberg said at the time. The production included Osnes and Sands from the initial reading, along with Melissa Vanderschiff as Blanche and Claiborne Elder as Buck. The production was fairly well received and won five major San Diego Theater Critics Circle Awards. While the critics enjoyed what they were seeing, they still wanted more from Bonnie and Clyde's backstory. With the Broadway run on their minds, Wildhorn and the team worked on tweaking the story before setting up another regional production tryout, this time at the Asolo Repertory Theater in Sarasota, Florida. The creative team revised the script, score, and staging with much of the rewriting being done via long-distance phone calls and Skype connections. They also brought on Jeremy Jordan in the role of Clyde Barrow alongside Laura Osnes as Bonnie Parker as Sands left the production to join the company of the Broadway-bound American Idiot. Previews began on November 12, 2010, before a November 19th opening. It ran for eight previews and 36 regular performances through December 19, 2010. That could have been the end of the road for Bonnie and Clyde, but the show did eventually receive its shot at Broadway. However, the path wasn't a smooth drive. When the $16 million musical Wonderland flopped on Broadway earlier that year after New York critics tore into the work of its composer, Frank Wildhorn, theater investors envisioned a target set on his next show, Bonnie and Clyde. This scared a few invested into pulling their money out of the upcoming Broadway musical, shared one of its lead producers, Kathleen Raitt, while others dropped from a $250,000 to a $25,000 commitment. The production budget was ultimately cut down to $6 million. During the time of the Broadway rehearsals, their star, Jeremy Jordan, was starring in the world premiere of Newsies at Paper Mill Playhouse while rehearsing Bonnie and Clyde from 10 a.m. until 5 p.m., meaning he wouldn't have time off until Newsies ends a few weeks before the start of Bonnie and Clyde's run. Previews began on November 4, 2011 at the Gerald Schoenfeld Theater, with the official opening on December 1, 2011, following the 33 previews. The production included all of the grittiness one would expect from a musical about the outlaws, gunfire and gore, including a character whose face is practically falling off. 
Critics and fans who had already seen the show were shocked by all of the changes made from the beloved La Jolla version to this current production. Ultimately, it was a mix of reactions and reviews. The average theatergoer walked away loving the show while reviewers bashed every second of it. In a twist of events, an odd choice for a business move, a lead producer of the show announced that performances beyond December have been cancelled and tickets are only on sale through December 30th, 2011. Despite a closing notice for the show not being announced or posted, this would actually turn out to be an attempt to stir up interest in the musical. The casting crew behind Bonnie and Clyde began seeing a crazy amount of support on Facebook and Twitter by fans of the show, who were fighting to keep the show open. Jeremy Jordan took to Twitter writing, There is no truth to Bonnie and Clyde closing on December 30th. We're still fighting. It ain't over till it's over, folks. Hashtag BC forever. However, that was not the case. And the production closed on December 30th, 2011 adding Bonnie and Clyde to the list of Broadway flops by Wildhorn. Fresh off of closing, the cast of Bonnie and Clyde recorded a cast recording on January 2, 2012. After being released in April of 2012, the musical gradually grew into cult status through the years. Over the following few months, the production was nominated for three Outer Critics Circle Awards and five Drama Desk Awards both including Best New Musical as well as two nominations for the 2012 Tony Awards, which included a nomination for Awesomeness. In 2022, Bonnie and Clyde returned to the professional stage, this time across the pond at Theatre Royale Drury Lane for its West End debut, with a set of two concerts on January 17th and 18th. Nick Winston helmed the production as the director, with original Bonnie and Clyde star Jeremy Jordan reprising his role of Clyde Barrow and West End favorite Frances Maley McCann in the role of Bonnie. Originally, Laura Osnes was set to return to the role opposite Jordan, but in November 2021, it was reported that McCann would be taking over, which most speculated was due to COVID-19 vaccine rules and restrictions. The concert was filmed for future release, and on its final day, it was announced that Winston's Bonnie and Clyde would be opening on the West End at the Arts Theatre on April 9, 2022. The West End production opened as promised on the 9th of April at the Arts Theatre, with McCann once again in the role of Bonnie Parker, Jordan Luke Gage in the role of Clyde, Natalie McQueen as Blanche Barrow, and George McGuire as Buck Barrow. This production closed in July of this year with hints of return in 2023. Oh my god, we finally recorded a Bonnie and Clyde episode! That has been like on our to-do list since season one. Spooky season of season one. Yeah. yeah. Spooky season one. Spooky season one. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> when I was visiting New York City in 2011, the show was in rehearsals, <laughs> but I remember wanting to see it because the marquee and theater were all dressed up with posters and the logo looked like super interesting and inviting and definitely different from everything else on Broadway at the time. <laughs> and obviously, like by the time I booked to go back to New York for a trip, the show was already closed. And I can remember being like so confused by that at that young age because the songs were so good and the show clips that they had on like Broadway.com and that just looked phenomenal. It looked it looked so good. I could not comprehend why it closed and so soon and so suddenly. You know, I can. I feel like every time people <laughs> talk about Bonnie and Clyde, they're like, oh my gosh, why did it close? I don't know. 
listen. Okay. I know why. All right. I mean, <laughs> I might be totally wrong, <laughs> but this is my belief as to why it closed. And I feel like some of y'all aren't going to love me for this opinion, but you know I'm going to say it anyway. I want to start with, I love this show. I really do. It's a fantastic musical. Mm. It's closing probably had nothing to do with it being a good show and everything to do with the fact that it was way too early for a show with that subject matter to be on Broadway. You know, even now in 2022, it hasn't even been a hundred years since Bonnie and Clyde have died. And I think a romanticized take on two notorious criminals wasn't something the American public was totally ready for. Which is also why I think it did slightly better in the West End, because A, it had more time, and B, it wasn't as close to home. I definitely agree with you. I somewhat agree with you in the sense that I think it was too early for that. We saw a rise in people watching true crime documentaries, listening to true crime podcasts. Over the past five or so years only, the show is turning 11 in November. It just wasn't ready for that. We have had tragedies, uh, real life tragedy stories on Broadway, such as like Titanic, the musical, um, which is also an odd choice for a musical. But that's another topic for another day. But yeah, you, (laughs) you know, like you said, it's such an American story. So Americans will take it far worse than the British audience would. Um, that being said, this show also is like, it's kind of like sexy Oklahoma, you know, so it's Bonnie and Clyde with the volume turned up. They're super like sultry and sexy and the way the characters are written, you kind of feel for them. I'm not saying I personally do. I do not, but I can understand how some people watch this and think like, oh, I feel so sad that Bonnie and Clyde die at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, but there's a difference between feeling it for the romanticized character version Mm -hmm. and for like the actual people. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up true crime because I feel like we butt heads over this a lot. (laughs) So I'm just repeating myself. But, you know, this is what I hate about true crimes rise to popularity and all that sort of stuff because I can understand a romanticized version of Bonnie and Clyde. I truly can. At the time, the reason they're so big, they were one of these first people, like people were buying newspapers and magazines Mm -hmm. to see what these two crazy kids were up to next. The American public during the Great Depression bought into Bonnie and Clyde and their demand for and chase of the American dream to have what they thought they deserved in a time when they had nothing. Mm. The American public ate it up. It was like a radio serial, but it was real life and it was happening. So I totally understand it being made into movies and musicals and how sensationalized they have been. But ultimately, they killed, robbed, kidnapped, and traumatized people. As Mm -hmm. much as it's a great story, you know, with two young kids being on the run and being in love, and you think about their historical significance, both in the role the media played and in how they avoided capture by crossing state lines, that was huge for something like the FBI and its establishment. Yeah. But, you know, we can't 
get carried away. I love musicals based on history, and I do really love this one. But we have to remember that while we can enjoy this, these are real things that happened. And Mm -hmm. that Bonnie and Clyde the musical as it is, is a romanticized version, which really doesn't give any voice or mention to the victims of those two people. And I remember, I'm going to bring it up because I had such an issue with this. Um, I think the Arts Theater did like a fan night on the anniversary of Bonnie and Clyde's death or something. <laughs> they and they did. were like, yeah. come dressed up or this or that. I was like, that is yeah. so distasteful. Mm-hmm. I get doing a fan night, but like a fan night for a musical about two notorious serial killers. Let's maybe that's maybe do it on like any other day, literally any other day. Yeah, um, like I can understand why they did it. I think in their mind, it's like fan night of the musical. However, it's the anniversary of their deaths. Like it's very, very odd. It's just it was an odd thing to do. Yeah, it was it was in poor taste. It was in poor taste. Yes. Um, But I have to say, because I feel like I've sounded very cynical, Um that I really do love this musical. We just have to be aware of what it is. Yeah. It's one of the best Broadway scores, in my opinion. I watched that grainy bootleg over and over growing up, as we all did. And as biomusicals go, I think it's very strong in the way it incorporates history and their story without sacrificing, like, an actual decent script. Um, Yeah, I mean, they also used actual photos and such, project it onto the stage in this Broadway production. I don't know about the West End. I think they might have done that as well, but I know for sure Broadway had that. They had clips. I liked that they incorporated history into it, um, but just the characterizations were so... They were made to be so likable, especially Bonnie. But then again, that could also be because the character was portrayed by Laura Osnes, who at the time was like the young ingenue on Broadway, very likable from the Midwest. Um, it could that could have played a factor. I know she herself requested some changes to be made to the character and such, um, to make herself feel more comfortable in the role because she I think she had mentioned that her family was coming to see it and she wanted it to be a bit more like drawn back which I don't agree with. <laughs> That's a bit of a yeah, weird I mean, thing. Like, like, it's not for your family, you if know? If you're an actor, you go there and you do your job. Yeah. Like, I get being uncomfortable, and it's great that they're having those discussions, especially in a show like Bonnie and Absolutely. Clyde in 2011, you know, with the sex scenes and the violent yeah. scenes. Like, you want everybody to be comfortable, so that's really good. But I also think that a show like Bonnie and Clyde, it's already toned down so much. You get to a point where you risk, um, well, you risk, I think, what happened to it. You get a totally romanticized version of them that isn't entirely accurate. I mean, we all like to enjoy like a really handsome leading man singing the Clyde Barrow songs. But have y'all ever seen a photo of the real Clyde Barrow? <laughs> There's a reason only one girl was with that guy. I think it's interesting for a flop musical. You know what I mean? It's kind of like Carrie where it's like, oh, did it go wrong because of the subject matter? Did it go wrong because, you know, Frank Wildhorn had 
uh, quite an extensive history of flops on Broadway and had one that year already with Wonderland, I believe it was. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, I actually think they're kind of lucky that Wonderland flopped and they only yeah. had a $6 million investment on Bonnie yes. and Clyde with how long it ran. Exactly. Like, can you imagine had that actually been like a ridiculously big mm-hmm. production? Whew. Yeah. That would have hurt. Yeah. I mean, it hurt anyway, but like that would have been mm-hmm. awful financially. Yeah. It really was just way too ahead of its time. I mean, how do you truly market a... <laughs> what? No, I think you're right. I'm agreeing with I, you. Like, how can you market it while being tasteful to what happened while still being like, no, you have to see this show about two, uh, two killers. Like, you have to come see our it's show. It's a killer show. It's a killer show. Um, we're throwing away our shot with this one. You oh, know, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's impossible to market it in a way that's not either romanticized by being like America's greatest love story, outlaws. You know what I mean? Or I just gagged a little. Yeah. Or taking it to the extreme like murder on Broadway. Um, it's impossible. It's a hard show to market in that sense. Then again, you would have to be living under a rock to not already know the story of Bonnie and Clyde. So when you see just Bonnie and Clyde, the musical, on the marquee sign, you know what you're getting into. At least I hope you do. I don't think anyone who booked a ticket to that did not know who Bonnie and Clyde were. Yeah, like even if you don't know all the dirty details, you're like... You oh yeah, those were ha- two kids on were. the run doing uh doing bad things. Yep. Yeah, you know, I like what you said earlier. You know, you were talking about comparing it to something like Carrie. Mm. And I think that's a great example because Carrie, I think, was truly ahead of its time. I think yeah. the world wasn't ready for Carrie. But I can honestly say I don't think the world will ever be ready for Bonnie and Clyde. I yeah I mean there's it's interesting because I think so many people go to Broadway and they don't want to see gore they're not looking to see a musical with a bunch of gore I mean you do have the Sweeney Todd's which is like it's Sweeney Todd y'all I mean that's still Sondheim you know it's still Sondheim However, you also have something like American Psycho, which also flopped on Broadway. And that was a few, a good five or so years after Bonnie and Clyde around that. Yeah, it's I just think the market for something so gory and so extreme isn't what people want to see on Broadway. They want to go and have a good time. Tourist wise, I think they're going to the lighthearted stuff like Wicked. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I think if I wanted to see something that was going to make me like something like Bonnie and Clyde or American Psycho, like you said, these are musicals that are serious Mm. that were kind of presented as like I know American Psycho was kind of presented as like a musical comedy. Like it was funny. So like (laughs) we'll talk more about American Psycho at a later date. But like if I'm going to see something about serious subject matter, Mm. I want it to be serious and I 
there's a, I talk about this all the time when we talk about things like Hamilton and Six. If it's something that's based on real events, I expect a certain amount of historical accuracy from mm-hmm. it. And as much as there was a lot of accuracy within Bonnie and Clyde, it hit kind of like the main marks. It really kind of glossed over the things that didn't suit their narrative. Absolutely. Which, yeah. I mean, fair enough. It's a lot to write into a bio musical, but like, I don't know, man. I don't. And yeah, as someone who hates gore, I would literally never go see a show with it on the Broadway. I would never pay like hundreds of dollars to no. go see a show that's going to be gory. And I think people like musical theater as a form of escapism. And for the most part, you're not going to spend a couple hundred bucks to see something that you know is going to end badly. No, for sure. And I mean, especially in this day and age, and I say this as someone who has a fear of loud sounds, like I will run out of the theater. You don't want to sit through something where the entire show is gunfire going off on stage. And that is like the majority of Bonnie and Clyde. You summed that up really well. It's it's true. You don't want to go to some, I don't know. I get that spooky musicals are a thing and we love them. But like, Mm. I am a big fan of Sweeney Todd. But the only reason I went and saw it recently was because on the website, it specifically said that no fake blood was used. So they did a different way of portraying the gore that was very artistic and still served the show. But like, it's one of my favorite shows and I never would have gone if it had been like buckets of fake blood splash zone sort of thing. Like, I would have thrown up everywhere. It would have been pretty nasty. So that is the story of Bonnie and Clyde's history in theater. We may never know why Bonnie and Clyde closed only four weeks into its Broadway run, but we can speculate the mix of decline in audience capacity along with Wildhorn's infamous history of flops played a part. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we would love to know if you saw Bonnie and Clyde when it was running on Broadway or if you saw the new West End production, which did look... um, looked like quite a delicious little revival amazing that being said yeah and before we go Mm. i will say i do love this show i think it's a great musical i just kind of wish it was fictional (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's a nice way to put it for sure change the names (laughs) (laughs) sam and emily the musical musical okay we're good i'll invest now i start dreaming about my emily <laughs> no, that we'll have to find. Didn't work. <laughs> As always, I'm Chris. I'm Joss. Together we are breaking, breaking the curtain. The curtain. Uh, you can find us wherever you like to listen to theater podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that sort of fun stuff. And our Kickstarter is still running until about mid October. So mm-hmm. if that's something you're interested in, we still have lots of stagey prizes that we would love to send your way. Uh, and Big plans to launch the podcast into 2023. Woohoo! And don't forget <laughs> to check out our new website, breakingthecurtain.com. It is super cute. Chrissy has done an amazing job on it. And we are going to have links to all of our episodes. We're going to have transcribed versions mm-hmm. of the episodes if that's something that's more preferable or accessible to you. And uh, even something else coming super soon. So keep an eye around (laughs) and of course more spooky musicals coming your way over the next few weeks exciting times (gasps) all right bye y'all bye friends see you soon